Good morning, everyone. My name is Gene. I am one of the pastors at Anchor Bay Church down in Beverly. Um, as Marcus mentioned, back in 2018, Anchor Bay sent out Pastor Matt, Pastor Marcus, and a group of uh, faithful Christians to plant a church in Haverhill. Uh, since then, our church has continued to collaborate together, like sharing resources and swapping pastors um, and sending out guest preachers. So thanks for having me here again. Uh, it is part of our rhythm of worship to sit in silence for a moment to set aside any distractions we may have brought with us. And at this time, we can ask God to help us to be in a posture to receive God's word this morning. Uh, after a moment of silence, I will open us in prayer. Father, Son, and Spirit, we, we give you thanks and praise for who you are, for being so gracious and kind, for being so merciful, for un, unending love towards us. Thank you for the ways that you have been ministering to us uh, here uh, within the church walls and also outside the church walls. And it's incredible to see how the expressions of worship to, uh, to you can be so diverse. And so... Uh, this morning, may we uh, be in a posture to receive your word, and may we be encouraged to uh, worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> Back in 2014, I moved out to the greater Boston area from California for Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, since I lived my entire life in the Golden State, I was really excited to experience all the new things that the Bay State had to offer, like visiting uh, the Boston Public Library or watching the Red Sox game at Fenway or being pressured to get an iced coffee at Dunkey's in the dead of winter. <laughs> During my first fall semester at seminary, I took advantage of exploring all sorts of churches, uh, checking out different churches uh, uh, for a short period of time is commonly known as church shopping. Uh, I kind of wince at this term because it has some unhelpful connotations, but th there is some merit to this idea. Uh, church shopping is a dedicated time to, uh, to look for a Christian community, uh, to see where we can best fit uh, in connecting with God and connecting with God's people. And if this is your first time worshiping at Haverhill Commons, welcome. I'm glad you are here today. Um, we, I would love to connect with you after service, or Pastor Marcus or uh, Pastor Matt would also love to introduce themselves as well. All right, so back to the story. When I uh, was church shopping during my first semester at Gordon-Conwell, I was surprised at the variety of worship styles within just a 30-mile radius. Uh, I visited a conservative con uh, congregation where, they, uh, where the worship team strictly sang hymns. And some of these hymns I recognized, but most of them I, wasn't, um, I, wasn't, I didn't know them at the time. Uh, another church decided to... Uh, uh, dedicate a portion of the worship service for people to publicly share prayer requests. You know, they would be sitting in the pews and stand up and say, like, hey, I have a family, who, a family member who needs prayer. And everyone would just raise out their hands and pray for that person. I was, was such a, a powerful experience, and I look fondly back to that memory. And, and, and then there, there was this one time I stopped by at a charismatic church where the congregation sang and danced during tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. 
Wow, my jaw dropped just looking at their expression of worship during this time. Uh, churches across the Bo- greater Boston area each have their own worship style. Uh, maybe a church recites confessions and creeds. Maybe some emphasize musical worship that deeply resonates with our souls. Uh, maybe the community shows incredible hospitality by making the worship experience accessible for those with disabilities. And other times, we've encountered a church service that felt completely foreign to us. Uh, these worship elements facilitate or even impede an opportunity to connect with God. Well, this morning, we are looking at a worship practice given to the Israelites that allow them to connect with God. And that practice is called a burnt offering. And let's be real, this feels otherworldly to us. Uh, But I would like to invite us to imagine that we're visiting uh, their worship service. I encourage us to have a posture of curiosity uh, because I believe the Lord has something for us here. It'll require a little additional elbow grease uh, to unpack it, but it'll be worth the effort. Uh, I have the privilege to continue the summer, summer sermon series. I've been, I keep slipping on that. Summer sermon series called Lessons from the Lesser Known. Uh, throughout this season, you've been looking at figures, moments, or even emotions that the Bible off, uh, that the, uh, from the Bible that are often overlooked. Uh, a couple weeks ago, pa- uh, Pastor Matt preached on how Isaiah encountered the Lord and gave him a sense of awe, a feeling of amazement and astonishment. Uh, As you heard from Troy's highlight, uh, uh, God's creation can instill a sense of wonder, right? Like looking at a hawk or an eagle catch that fish, or maybe it's a sight of a pod of dolphins or the expansive universe, But sometimes our lives could be so full or distracting or even mundane that we can miss these moments from God. So today, we are moving away from that uh, prophetical book, and we're um, moving towards a book found in the Pentateuch called Leviticus. All right, let me just like say right off the bat that Leviticus is such a difficult book to read. Um, As you know, the the, uh, passage that I was read is just so obscure, right? I mean, who else feels this way? Uh, Many of us, including myself, are intimidated by this book. It's full of uh, strange laws of like what to eat or what to do when you find mold in the house or what not to do when you're sowing different types of seeds or when you have a disease. Uh, Not only this, but there are like thousands of different sacrifices that the Israelites have to offer to God. It's really hard to make sense of it all. Uh, Leviticus can come across as archaic or barbaric at times or just unrelatable. It can be natural for us to skim through Leviticus at best or just avoid it altogether because it's so difficult to interpret. How are we supposed to glean anything from that book that seemingly doesn't apply to us? What can we learn from Leviticus that impacts our faith or understanding of the God we worship? If you resonate with any of this, you're in good company because most Christians feel this way. Uh, An approach that can help us navigate through this Old Testament book is learning one of the main ideas it addresses. 
Leviticus tackles a huge concern that impacts the Israelites' ability to worship God. And that issue is, how can the Israelites dwell in the divine presence of the Lord? Again, how can the Israelites dwell in the divine presence of the Lord? Another way to look at this is that God rescues them from slavery in Egypt, and then they are invited to be in a relationship with God. But how are they supposed to navigate that new relationship? How are the Israelites uh, corporately, how can the Israelites corporately connect with God? God has established a promise with the Israelites' forefathers and continues to keep it with them. And this promise allows them to be in a special relationship that invites the Israelites to be in the same place or the same space as God's holy presence. But there's a problem. They can't be in the Lord's divine presence because they are unclean. Okay, so now this term unclean uh, is used a lot in Leviticus, and it can be difficult to interpret in context of their worship. Uh, The Israelites will go about their everyday lives and encounter situations that would make them dirty. I mean, they had to feed their animals or repair their homes when the walls rot. They had to tend to their farm either by picking the crops or tilling soil. I mean, giving birth or bearing a loved one weren't sanitary situations. And not only that, their lives weren't perfect either, moralistically speaking. I mean, sometimes they would steal something from a neighbor that they desperately wanted. Others sold food at an unfair price because a couple extra dollars would help them feel secure in life. Their lives were messy. And as they uh, lived this unclean or dirty lifestyle, they, uh, this created a problem for the Israelites to connect with God because it impacted their ability to worship in the same space as God. Uh, back then, God's people needed to be clean in order to be together in the same space. And our culture has an etiquette that's, that kind of hints at this idea. I mean, at a very young age, we were taught to wash our hands before we eat, right? And it makes sense because we use our hands all the time. We have jobs where we type on, keyboard, on, the, on a keyboard, change oil in cars, or teach at a high school where we use our hands to, uh, um, you know, I mean, do they use chalkboards still? No. Okay. <laughs> Whiteboards. Yeah. My wife's a teacher, so I should have known this. Uh, we often use, uh, open the do- uh, uh, use our hands to open the front door or hang on the monkey bars at the playground. As we use our hands throughout the day, it's kind of horrifying to think of all the germs that can gather uh, on them. So it'd be insane for us not to wash our hands before we take a bite out of that homemade sandwich or the burrito bought from Chipotle. It's a common practice, almost a ritual, that we wash our hands before we eat. So God has given the Israelites instructions where they needed to be clean before they can worship the Lord. So this morning, we are going to lean into a few features or learn about a few features about this thing called the burnt offering that helps the Israelites corporately connect with God in worship. And just a friendly reminder, I encourage us to have this imagination that we're visiting the Israelites' worship service, right? Um, our experience will be new, 
and the service element will feel pretty foreign. And we're going to have a lot of questions, and that's okay. Uh, keep in mind that this worship practice facilitates a connection with God. So uh, the passage that Stacia read for us this morning covers a lot of details about how the burnt offering should be performed. I mean, a male animal without defects or flaws must be offered. The person offering the sacrifice presses his hand on top of the animal's head. Blood is sprinkled at the doorway of the tent of meeting. These specific instructions teach the reader how to properly present uh, a burnt offering. It would take several sermons to unpack every characteristic of this offering. But today, I just want to focus on two aspects of it. Uh, first, in the burnt offering, the entire animal, except for its hide, was sacrificed on the altar. Uh, whether a, a bull, goat, sheep, or bird is being offered, the whole animal is given to God. Uh, animals were difficult to come by uh, for the Israelites. Uh, there was no such thing as cattle farms back then. Uh, they didn't have access to an industry that would mass-produce sheep. Animals were a scarce resource. Um, they had to pick uh, one, uh, one from their very own livestock. And this meant they had to grow, feed, and care for these animals themselves. Uh, this offering wasn't costly only to the person giving the sacrifice, but also to the priest. Uh, other offerings didn't require the whole animal to be given up except for this one. It communicated total trust in the Lord. I mean, they laid down an asset of theirs as an act of devotion to God. It demonstrated faith in the Lord who provides for their needs. And God had uh, proven this reality to the Israelites when he rescued them uh, from slavery in Egypt and continued to act faithfully to them. The Lord's unwavering devotion to the Israelites was not based on their ability to be good, but on God's unchanging character. It was the Lord's faithfulness that kept their relationship intact. And yet, God still invited them to participate in this relationship like the burnt offerings. And now moving on to the second feature of the sacrifice, uh, these animals had some really strict qualifications. Uh, these uh, types of animals are uh, that are eligible for the burnt offering were like the best of the best livestock, the cream of the crop. Uh, I'd imagine these animals competing in the Topps Field Fair. It couldn't have a scar on its ear or no unusual growth on its eyelid. It wasn't qualified if it had trouble breathing or excess mucus coming from its nose. The bull, goat, or, or, or bird had to be pristine, immaculate, and perfect. It made sense for the Israelites to protect these uh, animals like this because they wanted to pass on these genes to the next generation of animals. And yet, God called them to pick the flawless animal for this offering. Uh, in one sense, uh, this animal represented the person who wasn't pristine, immaculate, or perfect because all of Israelites were un uh, unclean or dirty. As the perfect animal was sacrificed on the altar fire, it burned and turned into smoke. And this smoke rose to the Lord as a soothing aroma. This allowed the person making the offering to connect with, Lord, uh, with, the, uh, with their Lord. Uh, 
it paves the way for the person to worship and praise God for the, uh, the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this offering was one way for Israel to dwell in the Lord's divine presence. And even though surrendering an entire, un, uh, entire and unblemished animal on the altar is absolutely foreign to us, we're familiar with the idea of offering sacrifices as an act of worship to God. Uh, at Anchor Bay Church, uh, there has been a, a noticeable uptick in the number of married couples having uh, kids for the first time. Uh, whether it's uh, through birth or through adoption, Anchor Bay has been seeing an increase in this specific demographic. Uh, it's been a, uh, a huge uh, privilege for me to hear uh, these uh, experiences of these families. You know, some of them are really great. Others are, can be pretty difficult. But there, it's a whirlwind of experiences adding a new member to the party. Sometimes nine-ish months can feel either too much time or not enough time to prepare for a baby. Uh, sometimes working with DCF and social workers during the adoption process can be a mixed bag too. In the end, their lives are forever changed when the newest member uh, of the family arrives. And that change comes with new routines, inconsistent schedules, and sleepless nights, and so much more. Uh, when they're in this new life stage, it's easy uh, to have uh, regular chores or responsibilities uh, fall by the wayside. Our church supports families tangibly through meal trains during this hectic season, and I'm sure you, Havel Commons, have, done, have partic participated in meal trains for uh, families or individuals. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to support these new families by sacrificing our time, talents, and treasures. It's an expression of worship to God when we love and serve these families by providing a warm meal. Uh, Anchor Bay usually uh, creates a meal train when a big uh, life event happens in a person's life. Either they move to a new home, uh, recovering uh, from a sur surgical procedure, or a loss of an immediate or extended family member. Or it can be adding a new family member to the, fa uh, to the party. Uh, folks from the congregation have signed up to provide a home-cooked meal, send a, a digital gift card to Uber Eats, or deliver takeout from their favorite restaurant. Uh, personally, I've experienced a lot of joy by providing a home-cooked meal for others. Uh, I spend a good chunk of my free time watching chefs on YouTube like Claire Savitz or reading books that teach the basic methodologies of, uh, of cooking or just trying new recipes. Uh, cooking has always been a creative outlet for me where I can enjoy uh, exploring different cuisines or embrace mistakes by trying a, a new recipe for the first time. Uh, but as much as I love cooking, I have a bigger heart to cook for others. Around uh, last November, uh, a family had their first child and quickly learned that their little one uh, had trouble digesting certain foods that the mother would eat. Uh, after a bit of trial and error, uh, they figured out that anything contain containing dairy, soy, or corn would cause the newborn to have an upset stomach. And so they requested foods that didn't uh, contain any of these uh, ingredients. And as I combed through a bunch of recipes to see what fits that new, uh, their new dietary restrictions, I was determined to find a recipe, recipe that really looked appetizing. 
But that, that seemed to be pretty hard because so many delicious recipes uh, were unviable because they contained soy or used dairy like heavy, heavy cream. Uh, then I stumbled upon a really delicious uh, beef stew recipe that didn't contain any of these food restrictions, and I knew that that was the one. Uh, this stew cooked about three hours in the oven, and the key method here was low and slow. Uh, with that much time, you bet the vegetables were rich in flavor, and the beef just fell apart effortlessly. Uh, to me, nothing was better than a hot beef stew during a bone uh, chilling weather. Serving uh, families with a newborn providing, by providing a warm meal uh, is a way for us to love and serve our neighbors. It's an opportunity for the church to come alongside families and let them know that uh, they are cared for during a new life stage. New moms and dads don't have to traverse parenthood alone. Their family, their friends, and church community can support them either prayerly or practically. Whether we sacrifice our talents by making a home-cooked dish or our treasures by purchasing tacos from a popular Mexican restaurant or our time by grocery shopping for the family, there are ways we can worship God through serving our neighbor. I love making food, so that kind of sacrifice is something I'm really happy to make. But it's difficult to make sacrifices when I don't have much margin in my life. I mean, it's challenging to give more of my emotional bandwidth after, after navigating a really difficult conversation with a family member. Uh, I'm less passionate about surrendering my personal time after working 15 hours at the church. It, it could be difficult for me to donate uh, money to a nonprofit organization when an unexpected bill comes, from, uh, comes to the mail. Whenever I feel stretched thin in life, a switch turns on in my brain that tells me I can't sacrifice anymore at this time. And that's okay. It's healthy for us to recognize when we're operating at a deficit and don't have much margin uh, to give. Uh, it's more beneficial for us to take some time to rejuvenate, uh, to rejuvenate ourselves. Uh, it can be spending less time on our phones or going out and taking a walk out in nature. Uh, maybe it's meditating on scripture or engaging in a spiritual practice like Lectio Divina. Uh, when we come to a place where we're restored to a healthier space with ourselves and with God, then we can consider how the Lord is inviting us to live sacrificially again. Uh, returning to Leviticus, when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai receiving the laws, God provided rituals like burnt offerings as a part of the worship service that taught the Israelites to live sacrificially. Uh, they, they performed this offering alongside with other offertory practices on a regular basis in their worship calendar. And all these laws uh, were good and meant to answer the question, how can the Israelites dwell in the divine presence of the Lord? But these laws weren't supposed to be a permanent solution for God's people to be in the Lord's presence. Instead, these laws anticipated something greater to arrive, and that was Jesus himself. The Son of God became human as Jesus to live a life of sacrifice, he stepped foot into creation to serve the people around him by sharing the good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, recovering sight for the blind, 
and announced the year of the Lord's favor. He sat and ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. He healed the sick and the demon-possessed. He loved the foreigner and embraced the broken. Jesus' entire life on earth reflected a life of worship to God through sacrificial means. The author of Hebrews makes a connection between the life of Christ in light of the Levitical laws. Uh, whenever given the chance to sacrifice, Jesus said yes. Uh, when, even when that meant uh, people misjudging his character or misunderstanding his purpose. Eventually, uh, his sacrifice led him to the cross. And it's only Christ's unblemished life and body sacrifice on a cross like the lamb on the altar the promised resurrection that allows us to dwell with him forever in glory. It is Christ's death on the cross and resurrection that makes us holy as he is holy. Jesus redeems us and puts, us to, uh, puts to rest the need to maintain all of the Old Testament laws and customs. There is no longer to be tethered to the Levitical laws. We are invited to dwell in the divine presence of the Lord now that we have life with Christ. And this new life uh, in Christ allows us to be free. Uh, but this freedom it doesn't give us permission to indulge in selfish beha behaviors. Instead, we are to serve one another uh, in hum uh, humbly in love. We have the opportunity to leverage uh, our privileges uh, that we have for those who don't have the same privileges. Uh, we can lean into the abundant life with Christ and freely serve others from that abundance because God shows us that we have enough and that we are enough. As we, sufficiently, uh, as we embrace this uh, sufficient reality with Christ, our being becomes a pleasing aroma of Christ, just like how the burnt offering was. So how is Jesus inviting us into this sacrificial worship to God? Uh, one approach uh, that I reflect on, it seems like you reflect on it as well, is sacrificing our uh, treasures, time, and talents. Uh, figuring out uh, where I can live sacrificially has been helpful by looking at these three categories. Uh, sometimes I have space to do all three, and other times I just can't do any of them, and that's okay. Uh, you might be in a situation where uh, the treasures that you have um, are, are abundant and the God, God has blessed you uh, greatly. Uh, maybe it's a job that compensates you really well. Uh, some may have financial skills to uh, understand how the, where to invest in the markets. Others have multiple homes that they can visit during uh, different uh, seasons here in the New England area. Uh, treasures can be monetary or possessions. How can you invite God to sacrifice some of your treasures? Uh, you can lend gardening tools uh, to a neighbor to help with landscaping. Uh, it sounds like the Cushings are opening the house for the, for the summer pool party. You know, that's them leveraging their treasures to be a blessing to others. Uh, sometimes you could don uh, be, become a month monthly donor for a nonprofit organization that you recently found. Or maybe it's just giving a ride for someone who doesn't drive or who can't drive. How is God inviting you to sacrifice your treasures uh, this week? Uh, for some, treasures are a scarce resource, but you may be in a season of life where you have plenty of time. 
some of you might be uh, full-time students uh, where the only thing you have to worry about is studying. You know, classes, homework, exams are the, uh, are, is your full-time job. And uh, you may realize that you probably have plenty of time as well. Others might be retired. Uh, working uh, is a thing of the past uh, for you in that, you know, 45 years uh, of working has paid off. Uh, you finally have time to uh, pursue hobbies that you always wanted to uh, pursue, like baking or gardening. Um, if you find yourself to have plenty of time in your schedule, I encourage you to invite God and ask how you can sacrifice some of your time for others. Maybe it's volunteering at a local soup kitchen or getting to know your neighbors um, and inviting them out for, uh, for a drink of coffee. And time might be a scarce resource for others, but talent is something that you can use uh, to, to live sacrificially. Uh, maybe you're skilled in carpentry and can help fix uh, an, a, a wall or like uh, a certain pew that you see broken. Or maybe you're skilled in technology and you can help that elderly neighbor in troubleshooting their phone. What, has, what kind of talents has God blessed you with that you can sacrifice to others? Uh, treasures, time, or talents can be creative ways to think of how we can live sacrificially to God and to others. And I'm glad that, our, uh, that your church is thinking that way as well. And so I invite you to create space to see where God is inviting us and, your, and ourselves to sacrifice these things for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came down here uh, to meet us, Lord. And that you came down here not to abolish the law of the Old Testament, but to fulfill them, to complete them. And by doing so, Lord, you uh, enabled us to have this uh, relationship with you that no longer requires sacrifices, that no longer requires us to uh, make burnt offerings. And yet you invite us to live sacrificially, freely, willingly, because that's a way that we can le- uh, love our neighbors as you love them. And so I pray that um, Havel Commons Church can think creatively of how, that, how they can leverage their time, talents, and treasures to be uh, uh, a blessing to others. Lord, we continue to worship with you as we take communion in this awesome worship practice that we do. And so we give you all the glory and praise. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.